Om du gillar Hemma hos Trage så kan du stötta podden via Patreon. Om du gör det får du nya avsnitt två dagar före alla andra. Du får också den officiella Hemma hos Trage-kaffemuggen. Och du är med i utlottningen av kaffemuggar som handmålats av de medverkande artisterna. Det blir även en del andra roliga erbjudanden. Och du hamnar som kulturmecenat på min personliga lista över världens snällaste personer. Tack för att du lyssnar. Hey everybody and hey Fredrik. I'm very happy to be here. My name is Sam Herring. I am uh, the singer for Future Islands as well as uh, an artist under the name Hemlock Ernst. And I do all kinds of stuff. Samuel T. Herring. What does the T stand for? Uh, Thompson. That was my... my uh, Farmore's uh, maiden name, her first name, um, the, b- before she was married. I'm so happy to have you here. We haven't had any international guests for a pretty long time. Yeah, I'm happy that I could be here. It's kind of interesting. Like I was, uh, I uh, went had gone back to Baltimore in in uh, March to finish mixing uh, the next record. Um, that we're releasing as Future Islands, as long as you are in October. And I got stuck here. My partner is Swedish. Um, we were in London together when I went back to the States. It was like March the 10th. And by March the 12th and 13th, uh, borders just started being shut. So we were actually separated for five months. And I've just been able to get back to Sweden and be back together with her. And that's been a blessing. Uh, and I feel very fortunate. But it's cool that we can do these kinds of things, even when I'm far away, you know. It's so great. how did you meet your Swedish girlfriend? Um well we just we just met through uh we became friends online and then uh and then we finally met after about eight months of talking we finally met in Copenhagen at a show. She's originally from Malmo. Um so uh that was easy and then we pretty much just kind of fell in love as soon as we met and have been together ever since it's been three and a half years. And what was the thing that kind of made you interested in each other? Um, well, she was familiar with, she was familiar with our music and I, of course, was completely just thought she was beautiful and then didn't really think anything past, uh, that until we began talking. I didn't really think I had a chance to hang out with this, this beautiful girl. It was just like a friendship. And, uh, yeah, we just became really, really, I, I don't, I didn't have many female friends. I really valued that friendship and, uh, And it was just one of those things that happened um, as soon as we met, you know, it was just, uh, it was cute. <laughs> you know, we're just like, have been talking, FaceTiming for seven and a half months. And then we're, uh, we're holding hands, walking through the Glyptotech in Copenhagen and, and just enjoying each other's company. And it did, you know, I think it's really easy in the modern era to kind of ruin relationships before they even start because of, uh, because of a closeness um, and a speed to uh, to relationships and social media, how they can complicate things. But in a way, I think the distance that we had between us allowed us to become really good friends before before we were actually face to face, if that makes any sense. And like kind of like she knew the worst things about me because I didn't because I I just saw her as a friend instead of, uh, you know, I think we we also have ways of covering up our truth for people that we're trying to convince to to uh, to hang out with us we're just like i'm not going to be really honest because i don't want you to run away straight off but i think because of the honesty that was laid bare because it was like well this isn't actually this isn't like a relationship this is just a friendship that i think uh that kind of honesty and uh that came out in the relationship before we met really made us good friends and i think that's why it it felt so natural afterwards i read somewhere that you know there's a 
some kind of difference between men and women when it, when it comes to relationships that most women say, you know, if someone asks them, what do you value most in a relationship? Women will say honesty. Mm-hmm. And if you ask men what they value the most, they, a lot of them will say, well, the most important thing is that she does not know what I think. Oh, for real? <laughs> That's terrible. She must never know exactly what I think about things because then she will leave me. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean... So women I, demand honesty and men fear honesty. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but yeah, I, I think I think especially in this day and age we can't say anything about how exactly women are or men are because no. because everything is much more fluid and and that's true. And and uh and I also believe that men shouldn't be uh well women shouldn't be held to stereotypes, men shouldn't, but but there is I I do think in the macho man world of the world uh <laughs> there is probably a lot of truth in that but that's that's scary because i don't think a lot of people are honest about who they are um and that causes a lot of issues uh you know your lack of trust in someone else to believe who you are um just that that keeps rolling where there's there's no trust and there's no compassion and then there's no empathy and and then your president is a flaming pile of dog shit um (laughs) as as in my country (laughs) Have you had any kind of culture shock since you came to Sweden? Um, I guess mm, mm, I'm. I mean, I guess as a as a traveler, uh, you know, I've been traveling around the world playing music f- since uh, 2000. And the beginning of 2009 was my first European tour. So, so I've always. I, I think I think there was a level of comfort in that um, already coming in, but there's still things I'm learning. I just had uh, source strumming for the first time. Um, a few weeks ago, that was a little shocking. Um, <laughs> but I think overall, you know, uh, uh, my my partner's parents are extremely sweet people and have welcomed me into their home. And uh, and uh, you know, her brother and sister in law, like everybody, everybody has made me feel at home. So so nothing is. I, I feel I feel safe and and around her friends. Like everybody just makes me feel comfortable. And and for me, I've I've always been kind of a person who. Uh, likes to be uh, likes to have a quiet place. It's kind of funny because I'm trying to learn Svenska, and at the same time, um, I'm worried about it because the great thing about going to a coffee shop to write is that uh, it, if you're in a different country, you nobody bothers you. You don't get stuck in anyone else's conversation <laughs> because you don't know what anybody's saying. So you're just like ah, you know, it's like it's like bird bird sounds. Like writing in Spain is a beautiful or or uh, France or Italy because I don't I can just kind of be alone while surrounded by people and uh, and I think I, I deal with that a lot in my writing so so it kind of works but one day I will know what everyone's saying and I won't be able to concentrate again. The first track on the new Future Islands album, as long as you are, is called Glad Glada, mm-hmm. which means happy in Swedish. But it's it might also refer to a bird, right? Yeah, it actually it it's kind of, it is a double meaning, but uh, the, it's supposed to refer to the bird, which is known as the red kite. Mil- red, red kite, the red in, kite, yeah. In English. Milvis Milvis, the scientific <laughs> name. I think I think it's Milvis Milvis. And you sing about flying, and there are even some bird sounds on the track. Right? Yeah, yeah. But the bird is the bird sounds. I believe are geese from North Carolina, which is the the state where Future Islands was uh, raised out of. That's where me and William and Garrett are all. Uh, grew up and and uh where we started the band but uh but yeah glad glad is uh, the the birds are 
known to to inhabit the southern region, the Skåne region of of Sweden, and and uh, are beautiful birds. I, I love them, and and being spending a lot of time in the countryside, you see them, you know, circling the fields, and I don't know, they they. I love the shape of them. They have this great V, this large V-shaped tail. But when they when they make a big sweeping turn, you see like the flash of of red uh, color on their backs. It's just it's just beautiful. Um, and I think I was feeling that sense of freedom in traveling to coming to Sweden for the first time, spending my my first summer there in 2017, and then the spring of 2018. Um, and yeah, feeling this sense of home far away from home, and feeling this sense of a new love forming that at a time when, you know, at the time I was 32 and 33 years old, kind of, I'll probably never find, uh, find that kind of giddy young love again. Um, but in, but I, you know, I found this great mature love at a mature age, a, a healthy, an actual healthy relationship. I was like, well, I've never been in one of these before. And I'm feeling all these feelings in this, in this time where the, the, you know, all the, the spring is, the spring is popping in, in Skona. And I was like, how, how do I, how, how did I get this? Like, how am I so lucky to get this in my life at this point in my life after? And I say that in the song, like, why do I deserve the sea again? The sea being everything, the greatness of life. Why do I deserve this after all I've done and finding love in the end, you know? And, and, and yeah, that's, that song was written in those, in those fields in a little town called Ekestad. Yeah. So how long have you been a couple for? Uh, three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah. And w- what does she do, your, your girlfriend? Uh, she's an actor. Oh. Yeah. Has she been in anything that I've seen? Uh, yeah, yeah. Fart Linda, uh, Spring Floden. What's her name? Uh, Julia Ragnarsson. Oh. Yeah. I know who that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's, that's lovely. <laughs> she's amazing. She's, uh, yeah, she's really given me so much and uh, given me life life again. So yeah, this uh, this song is uh, "M" by The Cure. Uh, the Cure are a band that have meant a lot to me for a very long time. They're also a band. There's you know me and me and my bandmates all come from very varied musical backgrounds, but The Cure have always been a band that we all love. Um, and 17 Seconds for me, it's really hard to pick my favorite Cure album, but 17 Seconds is is the one for me. And "M" is just it just starts with that line. Uh, a uh, hello image uh, tell me a line from your favorite song and and to me that's just like it 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 just gives me so much uh feeling and thought of of this person of writing this song of almost like robert smith being like tell me what to say tell me what to say image is he looking at himself is he looking at something trying to pull feeling but it feels like to to me as a songwriter it uh it 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 like just mixes up my feelings and I, and i love that feeling
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So you're from Moorhead City, mm -hmm. co coastal town in North Carolina mm -hmm. with uh, about 9,000 inhabitants. Yeah. What's it like to grow up there? Uh, it's simple, simple, quiet. I mean, you know, is I grew it like up, a fishing town. Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. So Moorhead City is the state port of North Carolina, which is uh, which is also a has a huge fishing industry. Um, so it, so yeah, it's it's very much Moorhead City and uh, the neighboring town of Newport, which is where I went to school. Uh, were were a fishing community, pretty pretty working class. Although there's a huge tourism industry with the beaches there, so you have kind of an interesting mix of. People with a lot of money and people with no money um, and everything in between. Uh, lots of uh, huge farming community in Newport, um, which is where I grew up. So I, I grew up in a, I grew up in kind of a split dual brain. Um, you know, my father was uh, was an attorney. He was a lawyer and um, a divorce attorney. Yeah, me. my father was a divorce attorney. And did so, that, did that give you any special insight into like the relationship I think issues so. that you might sing about? No, I really, I really do think so. You know, I grew up. I probably spent. The first, uh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years of my life sitting in the back of that office, you know, seeing seeing men and women walk in and out of his office, either laughing or crying, you know, seeing the the children of these of these parents, you know, playing with the old toys in the front office and sometimes playing, but usually just, you know, feeling feeling uh as a child feeling like kind of crazy emotions and empathy for these people that I don't really know what's happening like I hear them I hear the like talking through the walls but I don't I don't really know their stories and and the things my parents brought home um that they would talk over dinner while we you know we were too young to understand but at the same time we probably did understand some of these things also the fact you know my parents have been together for 40 plus years now. So, so they're, you know, they work together. Uh, my mom runs my father's office and then, you know, it's mainly uh, doing divorce and custody, which is really intense human emotional, uh, uh, human emotional work. Um, you know, sometimes being like a therapist and things like this, but, but uh, they were always strong together. Um, and uh, it made me, it made me value that that relationship that could work, but also understand that things happen in life. And yeah, once again, like trying to see the duo, the 
having kind of a dual brain, even at a young age, like looking at these things happen around me. I know that you got into hip hop quite early. Yeah, I, I became, I fell in love with rap music when I was about 13 or 14 years old, 13 years old. And my brother brought home a CD uh, by this group, Gravediggers, um, that's called Six Feet Deep. It was a, they, they only did two or three albums, but, well, they did two albums as the full group, and then I think they did a third and a fourth with just two of the members. But, but it's it, like a side project for RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, yeah, it was RZA. Even though they were around, you know, really early. The, yeah, they were around at the same time as, uh, and I guess the Gravediggers actually toured with the Wu-Tang for a time. I've just been listening to uh, this podcast with uh, my friend Open Mike Eagle, where he's... Uh, He's uh, interviewing Prince Paul, who's one of my f favorite producers of all time, and just a guy who has given me so much life through his music. And I've really been enjoying these deep dives in, into Prince Paul albums. But uh, but yeah, so so it was Prince Paul, a super producer, RZA, who at that time wasn't really that well known. He had been working in the industry trying to break through, and he had this group called the Wu-Tang Clan. And they actually made that record, and then the Wu-Tang Clan broke. And then this record that Prince Paul had been shopping around trying to get somebody to pick up, everybody was like, could we put that out now? <laughs> Not because of you, because before Prince Paul was the, he, he explains it. I'm just like, wow, this is really crazy. But that record really changed my life because it does have a good bit of humor, but it's also very dark. Um, but it's also like, it's, it's not like, uh, it's gritty street tales. Like, you know, it's about, it's about, uh, the, the harder sides of life, the, the harsher sides of, of growing up in, you know, uh, the, these rough parts of New York, um, which you know, actually, let's listen to one of the songs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is constant elevation by the Grave Diggers. I love this gritty production. It's you know, so with, good. With the, it sounds dirty. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think that was, I mean, that, that, that's kind of been, always been Rizzo's aesthetic to like make, make things sound really crunchy. But I think it's interesting because Prince Paul was always considered a little bit like taking chances and stuff but when they connected on this record i think they made something really special in the production that uh i don't i mean i don't think anybody else has really made anything like that since i don't even know if they personally have made something like that since because there is like there's a little bit of whimsy to it but it's also like dark and just like banging but you still rap right you put out yeah, a rap yeah. album last year as uh, hemlock ernst yeah yeah that's like so so hip-hop uh really it gave me life as a kid growing up in the middle of nowhere in the boonies of north carolina um i really connected with these stories uh and it's something i've really thought about because it is uh you my dad would pick on me because he's like you know, it's it's funny that you're you're listening to this music uh, by these people telling their stories about uh, you know growing up in places that are nothing like where you grew up, and I'm like, yeah, but that's why it's interesting. It's kind of like 
you know, you, you love history and you study history to understand like what people are going through to create these, these struggles in the world. You know, hip hop was really born out of this form of people struggling and trying to have a voice and kind of giving themselves a voice to create something. And that really spoke to me as a kid who felt, you know, different than, than a lot of my friends and felt that I wanted something that defined me. And when I, when I discovered these stories, like, like Gravedig is in Goody Mob Soul Food and De La Soul, I was like, I was like, wow, um, like I'm, I'm, I'm hearing somebody else's perspective on life. And I feel like in the core of it, I feel the same, but their story is so much different than mine. What does that mean? And I, and it made me want to rap first of all, to find, to find that in myself. Um, and, and it, in a way it gave me my own, uh, it gave me my own armor and shield, you know, it gave me my own sword to, uh, to feel like I had a voice, um, as a kid, not feeling that way. So, so really early on, it kind of saved me. It showed, it taught me about words, which I really fell in love with at like 14 years of age. And, uh, and it, it gave me something to be proud of, uh, and, and feel like this is what I am. So really before I ever felt like I was an artist, um, or felt like I was a singer, I mean, I only, <laughs> it took me to about, I was 30 years old before I was like, I think I'm a singer now. Um, <laughs> After singing for 12 years in bands, um, I, I felt like an MC before everything. And that, that really gave me, gave me a voice early on and helped me, uh, helped me understand my, my, my own pain and struggle. So what did you rap about growing up? I mean, when I was rapping growing up, I mean, it was definitely, I was experimenting more with, uh, uh, what you could do with the voice. I mean, I was really into groups like anti-pop consortium and uh the whole anti-con scene of the uh, early 2000s which was like you know dose one and why um the beat maker ad nauseum who's so amazing the deep puddle dynamics album like these kinds of things where where people were really i mean it's kind of funny because i do think some of that was me just exploring my vocabulary and like learning about rhyme it's really like a very technical sort of rap where yeah. you um you know, com com complex rhythms and complex lyrics. and Yeah, so I think I think I was, first of all, I, I didn't have anything to say yet. Like, um, you know, the, I think there are probably moments where I was saying things, but I was I was very open to the idea of just like improv, Im improvising and freestyle rap to then figure out what what my feelings were. Like, I felt like when I when I could go into freestyle then I was actually um, kind of mining my subconscious. Like, like when, you become, when you become a real freestyle artist, I, I can't freestyle like I used to, nowhere close. But, but back then, whether or not I was, you know, I have tapes of, of like old stuff from high school. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't great as an MC, but I was saying things. And I was, I was in a place where my filter was completely off. Like I I think as you as you gain ground as a as a freestyle artist, you you eventually like break down your your things that stop you from saying things, and you start to just go into this deep this deeper place and of of flow and rhythm, but also just like words and and story. That's really it's kind of freeing. And as a child, like it's it's transcendent. You're like, what is happening? This is so cool. Did you compete in any rap battles? Yeah, I was in rap battles in high school as well as college. But prop I mean the last time I was in a rap battle was well on stage was I was probably about 22 or 23. So it's it's been a number of years. I've I've battled some people 
up until like 28 or 29, but I, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Why? Uh, I just, I lost my chops. The thing is you have to really, you have to work at that stuff. You have to like work at keeping your, keeping your, uh, yourself open. I mean, it's like I said, you know, it is like you, once you get to that place, it's, it's a crazy feeling. Like you can, you're like, I can, I can rap over literally anything. Um, and, and say something, um, you're just like, I can, I can be free. But I think once you, once you start kind of guarding yourself and, uh, and th- really thinking about songwriting from, for myself, when I really started thinking about songwriting, it kind of killed that, that freedom to say anything, because I realized that you, you do have a chance to write a song and you should, you should try to say it correctly or not, not say anything correctly, but find a real truth in it. So it's like, how do I strip away all of this extra padding on the thing to make it sound cool and just like say the thing? I mean, I, I've been, I've been striving for that since 2010 and 11 to, to write that into my music. But the cool thing was like, I went away from hip hop around 23 to really focus on future islands. And then I came back to it in 2014, 20, 2013, I'm sorry. Um, after we'd been on the road for five years straight and I wanted to write a song and the guys didn't have any instrumentals for me to write to. So I pulled up some instrumental hip hop online and I wrote a song and I was like, wow, this is the first time I've written a hip hop verse in like five and a half, six years. And it's, probably the best thing I've ever written because what happened was is in that five and a half years of being uh, in Future Islands and just being on the road for 800 shows and writing three albums, I'd learned how to write songs. I had learned how to, how to structure thought and feeling and make a turn at the end and these kinds of things. So when I went back and tried to write hip hop again, it wasn't just this like this jumbled like garble me up in the garble rose petal statues of marble like it wasn't this like tongue twister like wordplay dense lin- like dense linear uh or a linear uh stuff it was it was actual like wow this is th- i just wrote about a feeling that i felt and the thing that i've been really fighting for which is like what i do with future rounds but now i'm able to do it here so it was kind of a it's kind of a reawakening yeah I knew this girl named Alana with mad persona. She dealt with reality. So, uh, so this song is uh, the Hypnotic by The Roots, who were a really important fr- group for me growing up. Alana was a Maryland, thorough and attractive. Shorty that's relaxed with me and kicking back with a fat flick to cool out. With stress cause the game would make you want to pull a tool out and go the old school route. But all of that sees when that piece checking the jewel out. A brother was charged, light is split. This song is really like a simple, beautiful love song. It's it's uh, Black Thought is talking about how he remembers growing up and his good friend Jermaine, when they were teenagers, had introduced him to a girl named Alana and and uh, they kind of like had a little puppy love, like they, they talked all the time on the phone. And then and then as he got, as they went off to like school and stuff, they lost touch and he had, you know, and then he went off and he, he did his music and everything. But every once in a while he'd think about her. And then like years later, he's somewhere out on tour. And then I'm like getting goosebumps as I'm telling this story. He's out on tour and he's like in his, in his thirties or whatever. And, and he's, he's like, she, like she comes to his mind. He remembers his girl and, and he calls up his good friend, Jermaine Trotter. And is like, when was the last time, um, uh, when was the last time you saw Alana? And uh, he said, the line is like, um, I, it was like my heart beyond somber, incredibly crushed kind of feeling, uh, that of a boulder when uh, 
when uh, he told him he told me that her life was over, it made the room feel colder. Uh, she was a victim of the wicked system that controls her. It's all chaotic. Uh, anyways, it's just like this. He tell he brings you into this whole story about his life, his like his youth and this like beautiful love and and then how they grew apart and then at the end to just like it all ends with him just finding out that she she died and she's gone and and maybe that's why she came onto his mind and and it's just on this backdrop but but for me at a young age hearing that song and then listening to it over and over again like like you get to the end and then you're like I have to hear what happened like so you go to the beginning and you listen through and you're crushed again at the end and you're like what did I miss what are the details where did she go and I think writing that kind of a song hearing that kind of a song made me want to write that kind of a song like like how do you I don't know if I ever have quite written that kind of a song. I think that's the kind of song I strive for. Like, how do you really twist something so ah, so so delicately at the end where it's so delicate, but it, cr- it crushes so much? I thought I could get with her when she was a little older. But she a victim of the wicked system that controlled her. It's all chaotic. Within my life, it's symbolic. Forever shadow on my mental. I never forgot it. Yo, the psychotic, the hypnotic. Future Islands grew out of this quite theatrical band called Art Lord and the Self Portraits Mm -hmm. that you formed when you were in college in North Carolina back in 2003. Yeah. I read that you played this insane German character (laughs) on stage, Lockie Ernst Frost, a self-obsessed German artist who made his self-portraits sing to him. Yeah. And the, the whole... Um, uh, that that name was a reference to the poets John Locke and Robert Frost and the artist Max Ernst. Yes. But w- what was the whole point of that project? Well, the... the <laughs> it's, it sounds quite insane. Yeah, the idea behind Art Lord was... Uh, it was supposed to be a performance art piece and music was the medium. So the, the social... The commentary that we were trying to bring uh, light to was basically about how we treat our uh, pop icons, uh, celebrities, rock stars... Um, and just like these figures in our society, how they can kind of be terrible people and we still love them and we still want to know everything about them. And the, the funny thing about it was this character formed um, and it was kind of the story of Pygmalion and Narcissus. Um, so so the, 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 the self-proclaimed Lord of Art, Lockerns Frost, is basically he want, he's, he rose to the height of fame uh, in his late teens um, and then hid away from the world so he because he couldn't stand the spotlight and and then he emerges 20 years later in this time I was 18 at the time <laughs> I was like 20 years later he emerges in this tiny town of Greenville North Carolina and you did his, it like a German accent on stage as yeah, well. what, yeah what, it what was, did you sound like it was kind of this for like hello how are you doing tonight it's good to see you all I know it's wonderful to see me aren't I beautiful I'm quite wonderful but you know it's very hard to be so famous it's hard to be so perfect uh so but but what what happened was it was that people loved this character you know he it's a little sprockets i was gonna say it sounds like sprockets <laughs> yeah exactly. mike myers character on snl very much but, G- german art program but it was we weren't supposed to we weren't trying to make fun it was supposed to be uh it was in reverence to like a crap to craft work and these artists we really loved but uh, but yeah, the, the funny thing was this character was supposed to be 
really in love with himself and and in a state of perpetual hurt because because uh the spotlight is just too great and and it's it's hard. his fame is difficult and he doesn't understand why people can't understand but uh but but people loved the character and then he became very lovable but but yeah we uh we started the we started the band it <laughs> we did that for two and a half years um but the thing was, we we kind of we were very conceptual in the beginning, you know, songs like Art School Dropout and Little Line Drawing, Holy Light. Um, <laughs> uh, what are some of the other? too many artists like very, very strict to the concept of the art lord. Um, but then but then we really started to write uh, really songs that really meant something to us. We got we got good really fast. Um, and uh, and but then we were kind of s- stuck with this uh, this gimmick. I mean, a lot of people saw it as a gimmick and it worked but at the same time uh, after a while you're like you know we want to be respected as musicians too not just like a fun a fun thing um because those shows were were really really fun back then but uh but yes and then future islands kind of emerged out of that and now that you've experienced fame yourself can, can, <laughs> can you can you relate more to the themes that you explored in art lord uh i mean honestly a little bit um it's it's been interesting uh you know, we we kind of toiled in obscurity for many years um, as Future Islands uh, really going after this dream. Not not obscurity, but it was a very slow process, an organic grow uh, growth from 2006 when Future Islands began to uh, 2014, where we would have like this big moment with David Letterman um, that would really uh, change everything for us um, in a very short span. But but uh, you yeah, know, it's, fu- it's funny because. Artists don't have their breakthrough anymore through one single TV show. That doesn't really happen anymore, but it did to you. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of funny because our label at that time, you know, we were excited to to get on television because our our the, we we did the record uh, singles was the was our the record that got us our chance to be on Letterman. But the record before that, On the Water, which was three years prior, we were supposed to be on the show and it never happened, and we were kind of like. I guess we missed our chance and it's not ever going to happen. So when we got the chance again, we were really excited um, for it. And our, <laughs> our label, who was, it was our first record with 4AD, amazing label. Um, they were like, don't get too excited. Like, you know, TV doesn't break bands anymore. It doesn't really, it's cool though. Like for you and your family and your friends and your supporters, it's a great thing. And, and like, we're really proud of you, but, but don't, don't expect that things are going to change overnight. And then, every, and then it changed. Um, and I think, I think it, uh, I think it actually made, I think we actually made, uh, the 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 music industry look at late night television different at least for a time they're like oh you can actually do something on like on tv again because it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, yeah it just wasn't a big as big of a deal anymore but but uh we just did i mean the whole thing is we just did what we have always done um and and for a lot of so people it didn't feel like anything special when you were on the show you know you didn't no. feel like you know, this went really really well god no not at all and i mean i was i was definitely feeling like i was fighting with something inside myself which is do i go do i go harder because we're on tv or do i hold back a little bit so, so you held back oh yeah definitely <laughs> that's <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I, you know, most people and 3.3 million people have seen that YouTube clip. Most of them wouldn't, you know, 
assume that you held back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but I think that worked to our advantage. I mean, I think if I had gone, if I had gone full, you know, tip the scales the way I would on stage, then I think that it might have been a little bit more aggressive to some people that were able to to turn towards it. I think I think I think there's something about controlling um controlling fire that that makes it more powerful. Like uh stepping back just a little bit from the edge allows you to uh allows you to to uh show even more emotion because you show some, a greater There's some moments when you growl like a metal singer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you know it's not really Well, that the, was the, the type of vocals <laughs> you would connect to that kind of music. But that's another thing that I was uh, actually not sure if I was going to do or not. And I didn't know until I just did it um, where I was like, are you going to do the growl? Are you going to? And so I'm like just singing the song and I'm like, are you going to do it? <sighs> okay, we did it. I hope that sounds okay. But, uh, you know, you got you to gotta take your chances. Even though Future Islands is a less theatrical band than Art Lord and the Self-Portraits, there's still a strong sense of theatrics in the way you carry yourself on stage. It's as if you try to bring forth a message, not only with the, the lyrics, but also with the way you move, the way you punch your heart or yeah. go, go into spasms. Yeah, all of this stuff is really important to me um, in... Uh, in trying to tell a story. So, you know, we came up playing in houses and then like smoky bars and and the thing about, you know, being in a place that's just really loud, like being in a loud smoky bar uh is is you know like like I spent a lot of time writing these words and nobody's even going to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, like like we're So so I learned really early on, you know, I have to I have to show people what I'm saying if I want them to like even catch a glimpse of what I'm trying to what I'm trying to bring across. So so showing showing that emotion in the face, showing that emotion in the body, the movement and, you know, being of being a, a guy who went off to school for sculpture, I was really interested in the idea of the body as sculpture, the body, the, the, the form of the body as as moving sculpture and, and how we can look at that. Um So, so all of those things are important. And, you know, like hitting my chest, I've often said, you know, I don't hit my chest so that I feel it. I hit it so you feel it. You know, I, I hit my chest so when I do it, you go, ow, <laughs> like, that's got to hurt. And then you feel, a, you feel an empathetic, uh, like this, this hurt uh, for me. And that, that allows you to feel something. So, so a lot of that, too, is about creating a and showing a vulnerability on stage the stage creates power the stage is a place of power the microphone is power but if i can have all of that power and use it to show vulnerability then then the vulnerability becomes strength and that's the, the hope is that that allows people in the audience to feel uh To, to, to feel like they can be themselves and that they can share their emotions, that they can be vulnerable in that space, in the show space, but also take that outside of the space is, is, the, is the, the bigger hope. But, you know, these are, these are ideals. These are um, things we strive for. And I, I think it works in some senses and maybe not at always. When that video became viral, some people made fun of you. I, I read a, a, <laughs> yeah. a YouTube comment. Someone wrote <laughs> that you looked like an accountant on shrooms auditioning for the Olympic speed skating team. I think there's worse ones than that. <laughs> But then I have a friend who's a music teacher uh -huh. who has shown some of his students that, oh, wow. that video saying that this is the way to perform. This is how wow. much emotion you can bring forth on stage. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for me, it's, 
uh, you, you know, you can, you can do what I did. And, uh, and if, if the, if the music doesn't, or the song doesn't, uh, afford it, like if, if that's not what it's about, then it looks, it, it, it doesn't have any sincerity. Like, like the song performance needs to be about what the song's about. Cause I believe that you can, if you wrote a song and, and you and you sing your song sitting down with a guitar or a piano. Like if you can go into that performance sitting down and still, it'll still carry the same weight and same emotion because, because it's honest to you, because it's, it's truth to you. So, so really what I try to do, a lot of people wonder how I carry that passion and emotion onto the stage. I'm, I'm, I always say, you know, it, it starts with the writing. Like you have to write a song that has passion. You have to write a song that, that has feeling and, and to be able to be honest about it in front of people, you have to write it honestly. And you achieved some kind of, what do you call it? The WTF effect where people go, what the fuck? No, what WTF? Yeah, it, it, it almost reminded me of the way people reacted to David Byrne and talking heads when they started out. Mm. And he, he was so nervous. He couldn't move on stage. Oh, he, wow, he was really? super nervous. Mm -hmm. And, He was standing there, not being able to move or anything. And that kind of became the trademark of the band. Yeah. You're, you're quite the opposite because you're so passionate. But, you know, how, how something that people initially find, you know, just strange yeah. turns into something else. Well, also, like, even, even in that example of David Byrne, that's, that's him. Uh, that's his reaction. You know, that's, that's real, too. It's kind of... I, and then that's yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Like like this is how I believe it should be done. But I don't believe that every performer should do it the way I do it because because their their music needs to be about how they feel and what what they have to offer as as a musician. I really hope that there's not like a generation of musicians who just start uh, you know beating their chests and doing speed skating ritual on stage because I'll be out of I'll be out of a job. So some of your fans even made a cute cartoon instruction guide to <laughs> Future Islands aerobics. Yes. Some of the moves are the chest tear, the heart thump, the aeroplane and the star. <laughs> they were uh, they did pretty good. Yeah. But it's hard when you uh, when people figure out all your moves it just means you have to uh, invent some more. But if if you go dancing uh, like to a club or something will you dance the same way as you dance on stage? Or? Definitely not. No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really I don't really dance. That's the whole funny thing. So this next song is probably one of my favorite records of all time. Um, this is the opening track. Uh, it's from The Rachels, uh, and the record is called Music for Egon Schiel. Um, it was written as uh, the score for a documentary, um, and it was the first thing The Rachels did. And they were just kind of they're just kind of like a modern classical group that uh, the music is just so beautiful. It means so much to me.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I read in Rolling Stone magazine that you once managed to split your pants on stage. Does that happen a lot? <laughs> Uh, that does happen a lot. It's probably, it had to have happened at least like 50 times in my life. Um, but you know, Future Islands has played, uh, over 1200 shows. Art Lord played over a hundred shows. The Snails have played 50 or 60 shows. I've, I've been on stage a lot. So one, one every 20, 30 shows, that's normal. So it's important to wear nice underwear in case everyone sees it. Yeah, unless you're trying to make a statement. <laughs> But have you hurt yourself on stage as well? Uh, yeah, well, I uh, I have a torn I have a torn ACL right now, um, which I suffered in 2015. Um, we were opening at Red Rocks, which is this amazing amphitheater in Colorado. We were opening for Morrissey, and I was trying a little too hard to impress Morrissey. And I was he watching. Probably not. <laughs> That's the whole thing. I was like, he might be watching. I should. Do, I want to be sure that it's really good. And I, uh, yeah, I tore. I tore my my knee up and uh, didn't go to the doctor for about a year because we were still on tour and found out that I had torn my ACL. But I had torn it before um, performing in Paris in 2009. Had it repaired, and the thing is, you can't have or I had it reconstructed, and I can't have it repaired again. So I'm without a right knee, basically. Speaking of Red Rocks, that's where U2 recorded their oh, yeah. live album, Under a Blood Red Sky. And I think Bono from U2 sent you a crate of Guinness and champagne yeah. after seeing your Letterman performance. Yeah, we played in, we were playing a two-night stay in Dublin, and uh, and we got like this crate sent over and <laughs> of Guinness and champagne, and it had a little note uh, from from you two that said, you know, mix one part to two parts, or maybe it was just one part to one part to make this drink. I think it was called a black velvet, but I'm not sure. But, uh, did yeah, you try it? Was, it? Uh, oh, of course we did. It was good. Guinness and champagne. You can't really go wrong with either of those. So just put them together. <laughs> I read this interview with your friend, Dan Deacon, who's an mm -hmm. electronic artist from Baltimore. And he said that he sometimes worries about you. And I quote, Sam's obviously a great lyricist and is very vulnerable, but I do worry about him. I think he drifts into the darker part of his past, which is okay as long as he doesn't put himself in emotional danger to do so. W which dark parts of your past do you think he's referring to? Well, I mean, honestly, Dan was a big, uh, you know, we, we've been working on this, this record we're about to put out uh, 
um, depending on when this podcast come out comes out, maybe maybe it's already out. But uh, we've been working on as long as you are. And even before the last record came out, The Far Field, I was, uh, I'd kind of like was in this stupid relationship that I shouldn't have been in. And, um, and I think in a way I, I used, I used this relationship knowing that I shouldn't be in it to, because I, because subconsciously I knew that it was going to end and then I could like write a song or two. And, and, and I talked to Dan about this and he was just like, what's wrong with you, dude? Like, why? Like you're not being honest with yourself, you're not being honest with your feelings, and and really you're kind of you're hurting yourself for no reason. You're hurting yourself for art, um, and it's but it's not going. It, it like I'm he was he was basically like it hurts me to see you in pain all the time. It hurts me to see you deal with these things um, and not be happy, uh, you know. And he he really made me think about this is in. But this this conversation was in 2016. He really made me think about uh, what I was doing and what I was striving for. And I was doing that already in my life because of the success of singles and all the touring we did um, and the spotlight getting bigger. We talked about this where we were talking about this briefly with Art Lord. Like, like as the spotlight got bigger on Future Islands, I became, uh, my social anxiety became greater. It made me retract more from the world because, because I just... Uh, I didn't know how to deal with all the attention because like I said, like the stage is where I feel comfortable out on the street. I don't feel the same. Like I feel vulnerable in a negative way. I feel, I feel self-conscious in a negative way. Um, I feel, uh, I feel different and isolated. So, so I think, um, Dan really just as a friend was like, he was tired of seeing me hurt. And I really had to question what I was trying to do with my art at that point in our career. Why, why uh and and feeling really like that re- the last record we put out was shallow in in a lot of ways in in ways that uh and not not all the songs there's some really great songs there and a lot of songs that have meaning but there are songs in there that I do I'm not behind and and I don't feel that with any of our other records like like uh I think I got away from my truth um and and wrote for for uh, the machine, I wrote for the machine of the album and the business of putting out records instead of writing something that I really meant. And so, really going into this record um, and feeling feeling like uh, the most whole that I felt in a long time, if ever, and feeling it at peace uh, with a lot of things in my past, uh, and coming to peace through being being in a healthy space and a healthy relationship. Um, it allowed me to like, it allows me to kind of see the world in a very different way, see my past in a very different way. That's allowed me to kind of deal with those things in a healthy way. But I mean, I dig, I dig into those places because that's where you find who you are. That's where you find who you've been. And I think, you know, the, to find truth in ourselves, we have to, we have to, it can take like years, (laughs) you know, years of ups and downs. And some of us never find our truths and we go we 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 go on with our lives always wondering what what if this what if that um instead of coming to terms with the things that uh that are that sh- we should either celebrate or accept or embrace in our lives as you know sometimes the worst things that happen in our lives are also the best times and sometimes the things that we think are the best times in our lives that we hold on to were actually the worst times <laughs> you know and it's it's really, it takes time to understand the truth of those events. 
you glorify the past when the future dries up, like Bono once sang, I think. Oh, for real? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he, he's one of your most famous fans. But Gwyneth Paltrow also <laughs> asked you <laughs> for a selfie. Yeah, yeah, that that was cool. Well. I think I asked her for a selfie, <laughs> but she, she started talking to me and or we walked past each other backstage at a concert. We were opening for the strokes this is maybe five, six years ago in London. And, and, uh, I was, we had to leave. We were really bummed because we had to leave early, um, to make it to Germany the next day for a show. <clears throat> so we played a uh, hung out for a little bit and then hit the road. Didn't even get to see the strokes play really not happy about it. And uh, as I'm leaving, Uh, this woman says like, hey, good show, like really big fan. And I was like, oh, thank you. And like looked up, hi, thank you. And then walked past. And then I was like, oh my God, that was Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> so I had to run back and be like, hey, I'm really sorry. I just wanted to say, hey. So we talked for a minute. And then I was like, I never do this. Uh, could I get a selfie? So I've only taken selfies with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Cool Keith. Oh, Cool Keith. Yeah. So those are, those are the two. Let's listen to Dr. Octagon. <laughs> We should listen to Dr. Octagon. I myself, Mr. Gerbic, half shark, half man, skin like alligator, carrying a dead walrus. Check it. With my white eyes, gray hair, face is sky blue, yellow sirens react. My skin is colored lilac. My skin turned orange and green. Okay, up next we have Cool Keith as Dr. Octagon with Dan the Automator. This is Half Shark, Half Alligator, Half Man. I think the title speaks for itself. People got scared and ran the way they think I'm weird. I was born this way. Half shark, alligator. Half shark, half alligator, half man. <laughs> Lovely title. It's, yeah. a, it's like that South Park episode about man, bear, pig. Oh, yeah. It's half man, <laughs> half bear, half pig. I mean, I understand that song because, like, haven't you sometimes felt like you're half shark, half alligator, and half man? When haven't I? <laughs> exactly. Green elephants, I'll battle streets with a zebra. My mechanism is more than the psychic voodoo. What made you move from North Carolina to Baltimore? Uh, I mean, really, it was Dan Deacon. Um, he was a he was a really good friend of the band, um, and Dan is just like a hilarious, sweet guy. And so then he moved to Baltimore around 2006 or seven, and that was right as oh, Future Islands was beginning, and uh, he started a new scene that was called Wham City, and. Uh, And he was really urging us, like, come, please be a, come and live at this warehouse and be a part of the scene. And and we were like, you know, Williams in college. And uh, I had just moved across the state to Asheville, North Carolina, away from the guys. It was basically like, we can't do that. And then after I lived away from the guys for about a year and a half, I mean, honestly, like in 2007, I thought that Future Islands was going to just break up and be done. Um, part of the reason the band's named Future Islands is because even when we started the band, like we, I believe personally that one day we might just break apart. So I saw it like in the future, the three of us might not be together anymore and we might just be islands off on our own. So that was how prescient that name was. Like, like when we came up with it, I'm like, who knows how long this is going to last? Um, because I was, I was dealing with drug problems uh, at that time in my life. Um, and, you know, 
five months after Future Islands formed, I left town to get clean and to clean up my life and, and never went back to Greenville, never went back to live there. Um, so, so one day I called William in 2007 and I said, hey man, I'm tired of working at Domino's Pizza in Asheville and I want to make music. So I think I'm going to move to Baltimore and start a band or something like, like Dan's doing it. All of our friends are doing it. And then William was like, Hey, that's what I want to do. <laughs> or like, I want to do it. And I was like, cool, we can start a band. And so then, so William got up there first at the end of 2007. I got up there January, 2008. And then at that time, Garrett had just split up with his longtime relationship and we convinced him to move to Baltimore. And as soon as Garrett got there in June, and then as soon as Garrett got there, we pretty much just went on tour for five years. And that's where we cut our teeth as Future Islands. When I think of Baltimore, I, I think of John Waters, the filmmaker. Oh, yeah. And I, I think he has been to a few of your shows. Yeah, yeah. John's a, John's a fan and a friend. We've, we, he's all, we've also been to uh, quite a few of his Christmas parties and really? stuff. Really? But what's that like? A Christmas party at John Waters? Uh, it's awesome. I mean... It's. I think it's probably not as crazy as it used to be, um, <laughs> just because because everyone's settling down. Um, John's settling down, but uh, but he's he's a really lovely guy, just really charming and funny. But his house is really cool, and there's like wild art hidden away in all these different areas, and you know, just the pictures of him, the pictures in his house of his life with just like you know everybody, just like everybody. It's uh. It's wild, but he's, you know, I think, I think that's kind of a rite of passage in Baltimore. Like if you, if you get to that point, um, where you're doing something really cool, then you get, you get like a call from John or he, you know, comes out to a show and, and then he invites you to his Christmas parties. And then you just kind of become a part of this, like that, yeah, that Baltimore arts community. Uh, it, it kind of, it felt like a rite of passage the first time we met him and he was like, you guys are really cool. <laughs> we're like, whoa, John Waters thinks we're cool. <laughs> that's the best thing. John Waters' most famous movie is probably Hairspray, where he worked with Debbie Harry, whom you did a beautiful duet with. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Well, actually, the the Debbie Harry collaboration came through John Congleton, who produced uh, produced The Far Field. So he had just John had just been working on uh, a new Blondie record that same year, uh, which would come out, I guess, the same year as our album, 2017. And so we were trying to find an artist. Uh, a singer to duet with and we kind of been shooting around a few ideas and uh and for me like we we were we were talking about a lot of different people um and but for me I was like I really feel like we need like an icon like an iconic voice um no disrespect to Debbie but I really wanted to get Kate Bush uh I was like how do we get Kate Bush on this song but so then John was like oh, well, what about Debbie Harry? Like, I could just give her a call and see if she was into it. And we're like, what? And he's like, you know, that's just like not something that we would have even thought possible. So so when John was like, oh, why don't I give Debbie Harry a buzz and see what's up? So he he uh, sent her an email and sent her the track, and she immediately was like, I really love this. Yeah, I'd be interested in doing it. So, I mean, we didn't actually we didn't actually meet her until after the record was already out. And we would meet at uh, Jules Holland in, uh, in London, uh, doing television in London. And then we would meet again at some festivals uh, where Blondie and us crossed over and shared, you know, backstage festival area type things and say hello. But, uh, but she, was, she was really sweet and uh, great through the process. It was really cool getting her on. Speaking of duets, you did another beautiful duet with uh, Nina Keener, a Swedish oh, singer. Yeah. 
It's called Chapped Lips and it sounds like this. It's like you came in from a dream I had last night. I saw you coming from afar. Thought you reminded me of someone. But we never met before. Only once, only yesterday. So where did you record that? Was it online or did you meet her? No, I, I actually, I was in, uh, so that was a funny thing. So the producer of that record with Nina uh, was Daniel Fagerstrom, who has uh, also, you know, done the done the uh, most recent uh, Viagra Boys stuff. Um, he was in Skull Effects. Awesome dude. Do you know Daniel? I've uh, met him once, I think, because I'm a huge Viagra Boys. Yeah, they're awesome. Myself. Yeah, Viagra Boys are awesome. So, so yeah. So that was my. Fr- so Daniel reached out to me um, because of uh, his group Skull Defects. They used to. They had a weird connection with Baltimore. Like they did a record with this guy Daniel Higgs, who was in this band Lungfish, as well as touring uh, touring with uh, Zomes, uh, who's this uh, solo project of this guy uh, Asa Osborne, who was in the guitarist in Lungfish. Um, and so Daniel just wrote me out of the blue on my email one day and said, Hey, I'm a good friend of Asa's. Uh, I'm in Skull Defects and I've got this track um, that I thought maybe you'd want to sing on. And, you know, reading that, I was like, I was like, Oh, Asa, what did you get me into? And, <laughs> and then I clicked on the track and I was like, Wow, this song is beautiful. So it was just, it was just Nina singing the parts and the, the, the instrumental not not quite as lush as it ended up but pretty full and i was just like this song is gorgeous i like i wrote him back like like hey daniel this like this song is beautiful but why would you ever want me to sing on this and ruin it <laughs> i was like nina's voice is so gorgeous and he's like no but i think it would be really cool You know, it, it was one of those where Daniel said, you know, you can you can record the lyrics and send them to me. And then I was like, well, actually, I'm dating someone in Sweden and I'll probably be in Stockholm in like a month if you want to do it. So I ended he was like, oh, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Well, OK. So then so then the next time I was in Stockholm, this is probably November of 2017. Um, we got together and uh, and recorded a song at a little studio. I forget the name of that part of sound. It's it's south of Soda. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, we got together and recorded the song. I met Nina and met Daniel for the first time and they, they, you know, they become friends, um, since then. And it's really cool. Cause I'm really behind the things that Daniel's doing, but it's funny. Cause like I got, Julia got really into the Viagra boys a year and a half ago. Julia, your girlfriend. Yeah. 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 So I, I looked up. I looked up who, like, who the hell produced this Viagra Boys, and I was like, oh, it's it's Daniel Fagerstrom and Pella Gunnerfeld. I was like, 
Daniel's on on this too, you know, my friend. I didn't even know he did this. So we've so it's kind of cool because me and Daniel have actually started to talk about working on working on a future project. Because for me, you know, I'm gonna be living in Sweden and I wanna I wanna, you know, start my own musical family here. So you plan on settling here? Yeah. Yeah. As long as the government will allow it. I'm doing I'm going through the correct steps. I'm I'm sure they will. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Uh but but yeah, I wanna I wanna be here. Um, that's, that's the plan, uh, for my, otherwise I'll, I'll help to hide you as an illegal immigrant. Oh no, don't say that. <laughs> you get me in trouble. Have you been approached by any metal bands because of your terrific growling? I have, I have, but I, but I can't do it. My really? voice is, my voice is so fragile. I think that if I actually went and tried to do an actual metal album, I wouldn't ever be able to speak again. <laughs> it would just like. Because I don't like those those people really they have worked to figure out how to how to do that and and bounce back from it. You know, it's even like my voice. I do things that you probably shouldn't do, but I can do them because I've been doing them for years. You know what I mean? Like like I I can I can. uh, Yeah, I, I know the certain things to do to bounce back or the way you just like, you know, I think with metal singing, you're supposed to actually just like relax your vocal cords completely so you're not you're not tightening them at all but just letting them just like like just go because it's when you it's when you tighten your cords like when you're trying to go high or something um or even like coughing that you you actually strain even you know whispering is the is like the worst thing you can do for your voice um which is it's crazy wow yeah, so I'm not starting a whisper core band either. But I, I, I guess some metal people would also be impressed by you know the way you on stage sometimes you the way you I mean your your swag can remind me of Glenn Danzig. Yeah, Danzig is a huge influence on me as a kid. Like, really? Yeah, Danzig. So like the first bands that I really loved were uh, were Primus. Danzig and Elton John. That's like me at 10 years old. That's what I was listening to, which is pr- pretty pretty weird, cool 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to play a, an Elton John track. Wh- which one was that? So this next song is Goodbye by Elton John. And now that it's all over The birds can nest again A lonely snow when the sun comes out I shine only when it starts to rain. Just, just imagine a sad 10-year-old eating cheese and crackers listening to this, and that's me. <laughs> what made you sad as a 10-year-old? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's just like, it's kind of like I was saying earlier, you know, like sad music, even as a kid, made me, it, it kind of like, it made me feel it made me feel good in a way like it made me feel okay to feel those emotions and i think i think a lot as a child i just like felt the isolation of being a child sometimes sometimes being a child is not being heard sometimes being a child is is not being seen or you know the adults are talking type type thing you know what i mean so i think i think there is isolation that also happens on the schoolyard and things like that um so so i think it was just me being a hypersensitive child to those emotions at a very young age but i think in a way that actually really uh, aided me in my in my life and in my career and in understanding like the the importance of emotion as a, as a as a strength instead of a weakness I'll waste away 
And also as a rapper, I guess you brought some sadness to that as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, at the same time with, you know, with rap music, I think, especially at that age, I was trying to find a way to cover up my weakness, you know, uh, like hip hop, the the braggadocious, the braggadocious uh, side of hip hop allowed me to be really strong and macho uh and kind of fight against that weak feeling. Again, like I said before, it gave me my my sword and my shield. Um, but then I also felt like I could say I could say uh, uh, something that made me very vulnerable in a strong way. In that sense, you know, like hip hop taught me that. Uh, like you know, I always think of Karis One. Uh, while you were at home with your mother, afraid of the dark, I was sleeping out in Prospect Park, eating one meal every forty-eight hours. You know, it's like like hearing that as a kid and being uh, feeling like I grew up in the Jiggy era of hip hop, where it was you know it was like Mace on TV all the time and P Diddy and Will Smith, and I was like. I didn't get anything from them. I got no emotion. And, I, and then I heard Karis One and I was like, he, there's nothing glamorous about that. <laughs> like I was, I was sleeping in the park, barely eating, you know, like, like that's my story. And I didn't feel that didn't make him sound weak. That made him seem strong. And that, that meant a lot to me as a kid. I remember seeing Karis One live here in Stockholm once. Oh, wow. And everyone was talking about how he, he took the boat. He didn't come over, over the Atlantic on a plane, he went by boat. Really? Yeah. Or that's what people said. Uh-huh. And then w- when he arrived here, he was complaining that it was too cold at the venue <laughs> where he was going to perform. So he made them put up you know, heaters on stage, a lot of heaters. And then he goes on stage, he's wearing like two sweatshirts and a big jacket. And he has like a you know hat on and everything. And... He he raps for 15 minutes, then he gets overheated and nearly collapses on stage. No way. It was just one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess he felt that Sweden must be really, really, really cold. It's so. like devastatingly cold. Yeah. Like, I better cover up. Hey, hey, Frederick, can we wrap this up? I really need to go. You need to go? Okay. Well, um, <laughs> I hope to see you again, which I will since you're moving to Sweden. Uh, yeah, most definitely. I hope so. Let's let's uh, have a beer. Let's have a lot of beers. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Den här podcasten produceras av Daniel Bäckström för Leon Media. Sam Herring from Future Islands var hemma Australien.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Great thing. 